0: a gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. Lord, may the words that come from my ma- mouth make sense because they are inspired by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? I just love the way that Paul read that uh, gospel reading, the gnashing of teeth. We're going to get to that bit of it later. Um, but August is Vision Month. Um, And this month, we're looking um, at deepening our understanding of what it means to be a church known for its relationships. Last week, if you are with us, um, I was preaching on our relationship with God. Uh, This week, um, I'm preaching on our relationship with each other as church. Um, Next week, you'll need a break from my voice, so Dale's going to be preaching, and um, the final week um, I'm going to uh, focus on our relationship with the community and those outside the church. But today, as I said at the beginning of the service, we're celebrating turning 21 as a church community. And it seemed uh, very appropriate that we might talk about our relationship with each other as a church on the day we celebrate becoming an adult. Um, Millennials, you know them, they're those people, the oldest ones are just turned 30, Uh, the youngest ones are in their very late teens. Um, Despite what it says on the screen, they're not ruining everything, they're just ruining most things about life, particularly the English language. Um, I think this generation has probably destroyed uh, the English language more than any other uh, generation. (laughs) But they've come up with an interesting expression they've taken the word adult and turned it into a verb. The verb to adult. And it's more commonly expressed as adulting. And uh, sometimes it's uh, used in celebration um, when they achieve something that marks their maturity, but more often than not, um, it's used in frustration as they are faced with the realization (laughs) That adulting is hard. Um, we've got to be nice to our millennials. Um, they're the most underrepresented uh, generation, and not just our church, but most churches. So we need to, we need to work hard to, to make them feel loved. Um, and I'm sure um, all of us old people know um, that it is hard to wrestle between the tension between being carefree and taking responsibility. Um, They've just uh, found an interesting way of naming it. Um, Because we're turning 21, technically, as a church, we're all millennials. I know that might scare some of you who know, live, or work with them, um, but trust me, as I said, they are an awesome generation, um, and they get much more right than they get wrong. I pray that we might, as a church, um, in the same way, see more and more things that we can celebrate about and less that we can be frustrated with as a church family maturing together. Um, I've been encouraging everybody to bring your Bibles with you um, uh, to church. If you've got it handy or if you've got a Bible app on your smartphone, uh, you might want to open it up to Ephesians chapter 4 uh, beginning at verse 25. When we first have a look at this passage, it reads like a checklist of everything we should and shouldn't be doing in church life. And so it seems like a perfect passage for us to focus on today. So let's just walk through it and see what some of the expectations are as Christians who belong to a church. I think you'll all agree it's pretty easy stuff to do. Speak the truth to your neighbors. Be angry, but do not sin. Now, this is not permission just to be angry. It's acknowledgement that anger exists, but to know the differentiation between anger and sin. Thieves must give up stealing. Hopefully, that's not too much of a hard one for us as a church, but the purpose for them to give up stealing is to share with the needy. Put away or strip away all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and wrath and anger and slander together with all malice. That's a bit harder. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ has forgiven you. We can do that in our sleep, can't we? Easy stuff. Well, it's pretty daunting actually, isn't it? Adulting is hard. But before we think the expectations can't get any higher, St. Paul hits us with the first verse of chapter 5. Be imitators of God. Is St. Paul serious? We are expected to be just like God. I've met a number of people who think they're God, but this is something quite different. Imitating, or the idea of imitation in the Greco-Roman world to which Paul was writing, was a little bit different to what we understand it to be today. Imitating meant putting your focus on, on the actions that flow from a person's character. And so imitating God means putting our focus on the actions that flow from God's character. And this is most clearly seen, as Paul clearly points out to the Ephesians, in the person of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Over the past two weeks, I've been preaching on prioritizing our relationship with God. And when it comes down to it, today I'm still banging on about the same thing. But this is where the rubber hits the road. In simple terms, you cannot imitate what you do not know. Knowing God is a work in progress. We talked about that last week. And we are not all at the same stage in that progress. And that's okay as long as we realize it is a work in progress. And we're paying attention to the progress. Knowing God not only matters, it's the thing that matters most. If you want to have a quick flick in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6... And we've been dropping in and out of this verse over the last couple of weeks. And if you're as old as me, you would have sung a chorus, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And this is where it comes from. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. If we focus on the kingdom first if we focus on the actions that flow from the character of God in the person of Jesus Christ, then all these things will be taken care of. And that includes our relationships with each other as church. If you look at it from a different angle, if we don't focus on our relationship with God, and if we don't focus on our relationship with ourselves, What do you think our relationship with the people we're called to do life with is going to look like? When Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, he was pretty matter-of-fact. Love God first with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. All other commandments depend on these two. In other words, there is no all these things without those two commandments the second of those commandments to love your neighbor as yourself is as much a commandment as it is an observation Jesus knows that the way we love our neighbor is intrinsically linked to the way that we love ourselves I've seen it proven to be true over and over again, particularly in situations of conflict. And I'm absolutely sure that I've been guilty of this many times myself. That when someone has an issue with you or behaves badly towards you, more often than not, it is a projection of an issue that they have with or in themselves how we see ourselves as Jesus followers should be intrinsically linked to our image of God, the person and the works of Jesus Christ and the active power of the Holy Spirit. The flip side of loving God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength is receiving that love. Claiming our identity as a child of God. Our third song this morning, we actually sang it out with gusto. I am a child of God. But do we just sing it on Sundays and don't live it? Mondays through Saturdays. It means accepting the forgiveness and grace because we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and knowing that we are partnered in all we see and do by the Holy Spirit who is at work in and through us. We're awesome. We are, but we are the most humble form of awesome there is. It's a type of awesome that points away from ourselves and towards others in our church and in our life. The love we have to give is an overflow from the way that we're loved by God. And it's such an abundant overflow that no one should be left unloved. If you've still got your Bible or your Bible app handy, you might want to turn to the parable of the talents that's found towards the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, beginning at the 14th verse. In this parable, uh, which I said Paul read so brilliantly, thanks, Paul, (laughs) Um, we have a wealthy man who gives his slaves five, two, and one talent each. Um, Now, the picture on the screen might be a little bit misleading. Um, A talent was a weight of measure, normally of gold or silver. Have you heard the expression, you're worth your weight in gold? Yeah, well, that comes from an understanding of how to measure a talent because a talent was, um, in some parts of the world at that time, your weight in gold, measured in kilograms. So you might get stand next to a scale and they'll pile up the, the weight next to you. Um, and I guess um, I'd always thought that... Poor guy who only got one talent didn't get very much, but hey, if um, we looked at today's gold prices, um, I stepped on the scar this morning and I'm just a smidge under 80 kilos, so that would be 4.24 million dollars. Um, before uh, I went on a 12-week challenge at my gym earlier in the year, I could have been entrusted with 4.93 million dollars. <sighs> ah oh, dear. <laughs> In the parable, the one who got five gets five more. The one who got two got two more. And the master was over the moon. Enter into the joy of your master. The poor old mate who buried his $4.24 million in the ground and gave it back to him was not so lucky Throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound like gentle Jesus, meek and mild, does it? Doesn't sound like a God who's slow to anger and abounding in compassion. Have you ever wondered why there's such a hard reaction to a man who just gave back what he got? Well, I think I've got the answer. It's because the other two had their eyes on their master's kingdom. And they didn't have their eyes on their own kingdoms. And they faithfully enlarged their master's kingdom through their best efforts with what they had. While the one talent guy, well, the only thing he worried about was his well-being and safety. The only thing he worried about was the comfort zone that he had created for himself and that he had control of, which, in fairness for a slave, probably wasn't very comfortable. But he didn't want to risk any of that being eroded away. And so he literally buries his talent in his own self-interest. Jesus just doesn't say, oh, well, that's unfortunate. He says these words in verse 26 You wicked and lazy slave. This type of attitude is wicked. It's sin. It's broken. It is to be cast out of God's kingdom. I wonder how many of us are squirming when we hear this parable, knowing the countless times we've prioritised our own comfort and well-being. Let me show you how this can play out in church life. I mentioned last week that I was at a really, really exciting clergy conference a couple of weeks ago, um, and I was, uh, during the conference, sitting um, in between two priests, as you do, at a clergy conference. Um, and um, our presenter, who was a eight-year-old gentleman named John Roberto, um, made this interesting observation. He said, "The busiest human beings on the planet at the moment are parents with children and teenagers." And in most churches, we are asking this demographic to do more and more and becoming disgruntled when they are not. He went on to say that the church should be expecting more of the generations who have more time. He even went so far as to name his generation as the one that should be most active in church life. Controversial words to a room full of people who mostly had grey hair, including myself. He went on to encourage us to find ways of engaging this demographic in ways that didn't excuse them for their busyness, but met them in their time of waiting. Uh, It was no um, um, revelation to me, but being a parent of, of a teenager and child, um, that we spend a fair bit of time waiting for them in cars, in queues to pick them up from school, waiting at sports practice, music lessons, to parties, to friends. And it's encouraging us to find creative ways of using um, a technology, particularly of meeting them in those times and helping them to build their relationship with God. The session broke for some conversation um, and I turned to the priest uh, who was sitting on my left and you know what he said to me? He said, you know what I think? Parents these days have got their priorities wrong. Their children will never be concert pianists or ballerinas, if they just changed their priorities, they'd realise what they're missing. I can't be sure, I can't even remember his name, that's the first time I'd actually had a conversation with him, but I have a sneaking suspicion that his church hasn't grown for a little while. And underneath this comment is the attitude that I'm not going to put myself out or make my people uncomfortable if these parents are not gonna get their act together. In the meantime, I'm burying my talent in looking after myself, my church, and the ones who will come and commit. As I've been reflecting over the last uh, week and a bit, that comment to me has seemed more and more wicked particularly when I've been able to identify that comment in aspects of my leadership and our church. And it scares me enough to grab a shovel and start unearthing my 4.24 million and put it to work. A little bit later, I turned to the priest on my right and we were still talking about that same observation. And his response was, Somewhat different. See his church is a little similar um, to ours. Um, they have a very traditional service and a, a much less traditional service that follows it. Um, and he said to me, "We've now got a hundred people from our early congregation who have offered themselves as volunteers in lots of different ways, not for their service but for the next service. They know that these families are busy and they just want to serve them. Uh, It's no surprise to me that this church is now the biggest church in our region. Um, a few years ago, they had a similar number of, of kids coming to church as we do, around 30 to 50. Um, they now have up to 150 on a Sunday. That's an Anglican church, by the way. Now, it doesn't mean that this demographic of young families don't contribute at all. Um, from what I understand, they are very active as well. But how much easier is it to be encouraged to be involved? when you're loved so hard by someone who is so kingdom of God focused that they turn up to two services some Sundays. And they probably don't even like the second one. I'm sure they don't like the music. (laughs) But if you were loved like that, how would you love in response? I said this a couple of weeks ago. We have enough wise, mature, faithful Christians in this community to mentor those who might be new to or struggling with their faith. We have enough spirit-filled people to help everyone understand their giftedness and their calling. We have more people in this Anglican church building on a Sunday than any other Anglican church building on the Gold Coast. We have more than enough people to feel all of our rosters serve in every aspect of church life and more than enough to develop an overflow that shares generously that abundance with those in need outside of our church. We have more than enough wealth to pay for the redevelopment of our buildings. But are we prioritising God first? Are we getting God to move us in those directions? If it seems to be taking too long, if we're getting disappointed or frustrated, if we start making excuses, chances are that we need to look at our foundations and we might just find that we've buried our talent. Adulting is hard. Adulting means... That we put our neighbour before ourselves. And sometimes that might leave us feeling neglected or overlooked. But remember that song we sang? I am a child of God. If we have really owned that as our identity, how long can we really stay feeling neglected? when we're loved by God. We have a long way to go to be a church known for its relationships with each other. We don't always put away all bitterness and wrath. We still get angry and wrangle and slander. Yep, there is malice. We're not always kind to one another, tender-hearted, We don't always forgive one another. But I'm seeing more and more glimpses to know that we're on the right trajectory. I see more and more people seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm seeing more and more people join small groups. I'm seeing new people and different people volunteer and filling the gaps that need to be filled to be encouraged that more people are being served. As much as I still do see and experience frustration, I am seeing and experiencing celebration. Congratulations, church. We are officially adulting. Let's not stop maturing because we have and we are called to A long life ahead of us, seeking first the kingdom of God. I wonder where you will invest your talent to contribute to build Christ's church in this place. You might be thinking, well, I don't have much to offer. But God knows that you are worth more than your weight in gold. And if we were just to seek first the kingdom of God, all these things would fall into place and we'd see clearly where God wants us to invest our time. Let me assure you it's not in our own self-interest. Let me pray. God, you are creator, maker, and healer of our lives. And the idea of imitating you can seem so daunting. But in those moments of overwhelmness, help us just to rest in the identity that you simply give us as your children. Help us to know that you've gone ahead of us, that Jesus died for us. Help us to know as followers of this Saviour You have an amazing destiny plan for this church and for all the individuals who serve in it. As we look around this room, as we share to communion together, help us to celebrate the people you've brought into this place. Help us to see their giftedness. Help us to know their value. And help us to think of ways that we can serve them. We pray that you would build your church in this place. Amen. I'm going to now invite Graham to continue to lead us in a time of prayer.